Labour weekend. Anyone got exciting plans for Monday? Anyone having to work? <laughs> Did you say a movie? Homework. Oh, yes. Exciting plans. Um, there's a movement afoot, apparently, um, asking some churches to go, a bunch of churches who are seeking to sing the national anthem on Labour Weekend. And it's Labour Weekend. Now, if you go to school, you have the national anthem all the time. If you stayed up late watching rugby, you probably heard a verse of the national anthem. Or do they do two? Just one, yep. Where else do we sing the national anthem? Anywhere? Shower. Shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, you're right, we're all diverted, Johan. We're just. <laughs> we don't, we're, New Zealanders don't really like to wear patriotism on their sleeve, I don't think. It's not that we're not patriotic. Um, and let's be clear here we're a church, which means first and foremost we're into Jesus. Okay? Um, more than any particular country. Okay? However, we do live in New Zealand. And if you've um, grown up here and gone overseas, one of the things you discover is there are things about New Zealand that are unique to us, our land. In fact, for many of us, our challenge is how do we live as Christians in this land as opposed to others? So I wonder if you'd be willing to join me in singing the national anthem. Now, um, we're going to have a, a canned version like they do in schools, so um, I haven't asked the musicians to do anything too hairy. It's going to have, the, in fact, anything hairy at all, uh, the first verses in Maori, and then we're going to sing the other four verses, okay? Which for some of you is like, really, there's more? Um, <laughs> pay attention to the lyrics. They're interesting. They are a reflection of a different time when actually there's quite a lot of Christian concepts, language, and imagery in it. So um, are you up for it? Um, it's not an inappropriate thing to do. We are in New Zealand. We have a new government. Um, this is part of us. It's kind of reminding ourselves of who we are as a nation. I'm going to get off the stage because I'm embarrassed about how I may well mispronounce things as we sing. Sorry to do this. It's like a yo-yo in church, isn't it? Stand up, sit down. Sit. Can, can you stand up? You don't have to put your hands on your chest. Um, there's no taking off hats. or um, I, I don't think there's anything else special in there. But um, let's, see, let's see if the technology is up to it and if we have a national anthem. <laughs> As a mic that works well done, that's my fail again. Goodness, as a prayer for New Zealand, there's a lot in there that is food for thought for us. Good words. Asking for this to be a place of peace and of fairness, of mercy. Asking for us to be bound together with bonds of love. These are cool things. You could quite legitimately pray this and just for Defend New Zealand, you could put it, pray it for your own family. Because we want to be marked by things like this. And some of our debates, national debates, the debate about immigration, things like that, it's actually, pay attention to this. Because there's a thing about what kind of character are we as a, a nation and how are we behaving to others. Because that's the thing about a nation is it's also about 
who we are and how welcoming are we, which is part of what I want to look at this morning, a little bit about community, who we are, and what it's like to welcome others. You all know the places that you long to be part of, the communities where you long to belong, you think it's going to be great. It doesn't always work out that way. I'm just going to briefly take you to North Shore High. Those people will recognise this if you know the movie Mean Girls. Sometimes we're bound together with the bonds of love, sometimes not so much. This map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, Sexually active bandies, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. It's in 30 seconds that speaker went through, judged, and pin pigeonholed all of North Shore High School into labels. This, 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 and this. Is that bound together in bonds of love? No, it's something else, isn't it? You know that feeling of being labeled by other people? Oh, you say that because you are a. Look at that, I've just discounted the argument just by labelling them. In church circles we do it with liberal or conservative. Pre-election you do it with political parties. We can do it by age, sex, all sorts of things, words that we throw on top to avoid uh, dealing with an argument. Now, admittedly most American high school movies are built on this. The jocks and the geeks. You know, the fighting between classes. I actually asked a couple of Americans who went to school in America and came to New Zealand and lived here for a while. I said, it's not like that, is it? And they said, actually, their experience was it was. In a really big high school, you want to have a group that you belong to, and you do that by distinguishing yourself against other people. Yep. And in fact, there's an argument that, um, I'm going to get into trouble here, that um, Holden versus Ford... <laughs> I'm in trouble. Crusaders versus blues. That, that we do this. We like to define ourselves into groupings. It's not wrong, but there's a thing. I heard this clip on a um, movie that really struck me um, where a mum was saying to her daughter, but you should love your high school days. They're the best days of your life. And the kid responded saying, have you been to high school lately, mum? <laughs> she said, I don't know how to say it, but they're kind of judgy, which really struck me. Judgy, who we don't want to be. Remember that phrase in the national anthem? We sang, from dissension, envy, hate, and corruption, guard our state. From dissension, envy, hate, rescue us from this. In Maori, and please forgive my poor te reo, ko te hao metenauna, I shouldn't have done that because I got that so badly wrong that if you did speak good today, you'd be going, say what? Envy divides us. Comparing ourselves to other people, becoming judgy. And that's a problem for us in church because, well, a while ago, not that long ago, a guy called David Kinnaman wrote a book called Unchristian. He looked at younger people in America and asked them what they thought about Christians. And they said, among other things, well, they're judgy. They're judgmental. 
Um, 57% of those queued said they were very judgmental, a lot, and 87 said a lot or some. They think we're judgy. And yes, it can feel that way. In fact, if you're new to church and you come in, the feeling almost everybody has is, who are these people and how are they going to judge me? Am I going to fit in? Am I going to feel like a spare part? You know that feeling? If you're feeling that way, it's okay. We'll do our best not to judge and actually probably vast quantities of a feel like that on any given day. We're like that. We're scared we'll become all judgy. And we don't belong to groups because we want to be judged. We belong to groups because we love to be connected to others, to have others who feel the same way. We long for places and people who will love us. I think of these as grace communities. See you guys? And I've heard some people call them communities of redemption, which is what I'd like church to be. So that's pretty harsh, isn't it? 87% a lot judgy, or at least some judgy. I've got some good news for you, closer afield. Um, Here's an American survey. 92% of Australians know at least one Christian, and they see Christians as being, and this is really nice, isn't it? 41% is caring, 35% of loving, 35% kind. 32% honest, 31% faithful. Isn't that nice? Yep, so it's really easy to bag us. Actually, this is kind of good. This is the the love basis we're supposed to be, but then the next two are traditional, and there it is again, judgy. It's probably not that surprising that we're seen that way, because if you hold to a standard of any kind, then you're going to be seen as judgy, you would think. Yes? Yep. And we certainly not, don't want, as a church, to say that anything goes. In fact, in our culture at the moment, tolerance is seen as a virtue. I've got good and bad news for you. The bad news is it's not enough. It's not enough. We are not called to tolerate our neighbor. What is it to tolerate someone? Well, I really don't like them, but I'll put up with them. What are we called to do? Love our neighbor. To look past the difference, I think, to sometimes to value the difference, to admire not so much the color of someone's skin, but the color of their soul. Who are they really? That's what we're supposed to be. And that's getting past the exterior to who someone is inside, which doesn't happen quickly, does it? Jesus sat down on a hillside and starts teaching in in Matthew. He starts teaching that everything is reversed, that the good will be rich, that the meek are going to inherit as opposed to be ripped off, that the merciful will receive mercy, and asks his followers to have character, to be salt and light. Sounds good so far. And then he raises the bar sky high. He says, it's not enough to not murder, you have to not hate. It's not enough to not sleep around, but a lustful look is an issue. And you've heard people say, love your neighbor, not enough. Love your enemy. He puts the sky, puts the bar sky high, higher than you can pole vault, higher than you can high jump. And then at the end of the story, just to make matters worse, at the end of Matthew's story of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells a classic Sunday school story. He says, um, Listen to these words, and if you don't listen, if you don't do them, then you're like a person who builds their leaky house on TC3 property, on the sand. 
And it's not going to stand up to climate change or even an earthquake. It's going to crash. He says, if you just listen and don't do it, that's you. And we know we don't want to be that. So it's not like the Christian kingdom is a place where anything goes. There is character. And standards are set sky high. But if you do that, we do feel pretty judgy. So I wanted this morning to tell you one thing that will stick in our heads. It's for me and for you that I think rescues us from this. I think this is one of the core secrets to being a community of grace. It's pretty simple to say or hear. It's a lot harder to do. But I'm pretty passionately committed to it. Let's get to the preamble. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Matthew says, well, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Say that again. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, now that's a bit problematic, isn't it? Can you live a life without judging? Probably not, because we make decisions all the time about this is good, that is bad. But there's a caution here. Careful, the measure you use will be used to measure you. It's not a, a new idea. It's actually found in the Jewish Mishnah, the early Jewish interpretation of the laws. I think of it as the hypocrite text. Um, as in, that standard you're applying, you living by it? Are you a hypocrite? Now, in Greek, hypocrite is two-faced. It's to rescue us from being two-faced. But Jesus goes on, and I think makes it a lot simpler for us. Oh, I quite liked this. Your words, look out what you say, they come around behind you and judge you. Okay, and actually, this would be a helpful aspect to include in all of our language, in our talk about immigration, in our talk about church, in our talk about life. I have seen churches throw out new believers because they didn't pass the measure. Well, hang on, who makes that measure, and do we all fit it? I, there's a caution in here. We do see communities go wrong, communities where you are not allowed to be you, where you have to hide places of forced uniformity, and this is clearly not what Jesus talks about when he says, do not judge. So how do we keep character, but yet be open to all? Well, Jesus follows on. And he tells a story. It's actually a bit of a joke. Why do you look at the speck of dust, sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Picture it for a moment. Somebody else with a little bit of dust and a red eye and you with a huge plank coming out of yours or a log if you prefer that language. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, two-faced. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there it is, secret to Christian community. Get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your eye. Yes, other people have logs. Actually, other people, according to this, have sawdust. Pay attention to your log. Not other people's, your own. Get your own log out. A little bit like on the aeroplane, you know, the masks come down. What do you do? Put yours on first. Someone was listening, well done. 
all, those, all that money in New Zealand has put into those ads has finally paid off. <laughs> put yours on first. Then you can help some. Put yours on first. Pay attention to your own log. I quite like this cartoon that continues it. Ha ha, you just told me that he has a splinter of his eye and you have a beam in yours, and what's he missing? He's got a trunk growing out of his. <laughs> we all think we know how other people should live. Of course we do. And in fact, Christians, particularly because there are standards and things we are aspiring to, but we are in such a rush to tell people how they should live. Pay attention to the log in your own eye. Genuinely, I think this is a key. If we could do that, then we change. Have you ever been part of a group where everybody is rushing in telling you how to, how to live? I like to think of this. You know, we have a family mountain biking thing. We go for a ride every third Sunday. Can you imagine going out with a bunch of people and they've all got flat tires and you're having trouble changing gear and they're all telling you how to change gear? How would that feel? You'd be wanting to... Would you want to go on a ride with them again? Pay attention to your own puncture. This is how we start ourselves, a group of sinners, and there are only sinners here. We can... This is how we can hold on, run towards the character of Jesus and not be all judgy. So maybe Fred has a problem with porn and Marge with gossip. That's not your baby. That's not your log. What's your log? The one in your eye. I have to deal with the one, the log in my eye. In doing this, Jesus is saying, hey, look, our journeys are far more internal. What is actually happening inside us than external? This stuff, pay attention to this stuff. That's why in Romans 12 he talks about not being conformed from outside, but transformed from within. Internal. And there are no spotlights. No one is going, and why, he, when he says pray, does he say make a big show, get in front of everybody else? He says for prayer, don't make a show. Because it's an internal thing, you and God. There's no spotlight, and if there's glory, it is that which belongs to God. Certainly not which belongs to man. I don't think any of us are that comfortable with this. This is tricky and uncomfortable. I suspect this is why churches will make public pronouncements about sexuality, in particular sexuality that is not regarded as the norm. Okay? Because when we do so, we're thinking we're establishing character, we're um, ensuring purity. But when we do so, what are we not doing? We're having a discussion that is about often someone else's log. I think that's why quite a number of denominations have made public statements about sexuality. But you know, I haven't really found one that's been making them about greed. Because we can't have the discussion of greed without it turning to us. And suddenly, when the discussion turns to me and what I struggle with, the nature of the discussion changes. 
When you see people angrily shouting at others, it's very seldom because they have a sense of their own sin and failure. They have a sense of somebody else's, which is quite a nice feeling, actually. When you're feeling self-righteous about someone else, you can avoid your own stuff. But Jesus says, pay attention to your own log. And we can't talk about greed without being aware of our own inbuilt tendency towards a kind of selfishness that destroys. And, you know, we can't solve it like that. A policy isn't going to fix it. Um, now, just personally... I wish we'd been a bit slower to make pronouncements. I think it makes us look judgy. And I think often we do it in the areas where we can point at someone else. Whereas I think this, our heart, that's our responsibility. I always like the saying that you should judge a man. You shouldn't judge a man unless you walked a mile in his or her shoes but mostly because then I can see you're a mile away from him and you've got his shoes. <laughs> okay. Some of you will have seen this video clip on Facebook. I, I'm, I've cut out the audio and cut it shorter. It's of a race. They get these students up and they say, hey, look, we're offering you $100 to the person who wins this race. But first of all, I'm going to ask you a set of questions. And they ask a set of questions and say, if you can answer yes to this, take two steps forward. So if you had a father figure at home and they take two steps forward. If you had um, never had to worry about your cell phone being shut off, two steps. If you never had to help mum or dad with the bills and you see the separation occurring and the guys who are left behind thinking, oh man, I'm never going to win this race. And you see the people who initially feel stoked because they're way ahead and then there's a twist. The guy says, yep, whoever gets the other side first gets the $100, but this was never a level playing field. And none of those questions were about what you earned. They were things that, were for you, that happened to you. So he goes on to say, and it's lovely because at the end they form a big circle together and talk and you get the sense of connection. We don't live on a level playing field. It is different for different people. Maybe we don't have to be so judgy. Here's everyone kind of realizing how different they are. This is the language we use for being born with the wind at your back. means that you are further down the playing field. And to be fair, in New Zealand circles, generally speaking, we are mostly a white congregation. That is us. So the suggestions say, so they finished the race. Surprise, surprise, the people ahead won. And the last clip has them all standing together in a big circle. And it reads out a verse. And that is church. We are different, we come from different places. You know the saying, who died and made you judge? Christians say, who died? I don't have to judge. Because of who died. Get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. 
it's kind of interesting that um, Paul, when he's writing a letter in 1, 2 Corinthians, he says, um, talks about a thorn in his flesh. We don't really know what that is, but he says, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, Please forgive me, but this is kind of a heavy topic, so it's kind of good to loosen it. Uh, there is a little known fact, there is a little bit of proof, as we think. There is a picture of what the thorn was. <laughs> SpongeBob Squareface. Hey, Paul, what are you writing a letter for, Paul? <laughs> okay, it was just a joke. <laughs> it doesn't say what he is. But God's response to Paul, he writes, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul then writes, and one of his marks of his writing is he often writes about the minuses of himself. Because he knows he's not calling people to himself, he's calling people to Christ. Therefore I will boast all the more the gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Our weaknesses are part of what make us human. Remind us that we are first and foremost humors, humans, sorry, not hummus, sinners, forgiven, and welcomed into a kingdom we never deserved or earned. It was always a gift of grace. Always, always, always. And I think Jesus doesn't want us to be judgy. I think I'd really like it if someone came away from church and says, I don't know, Marmot, it's kind of gracie. Wouldn't that be nice? I think God's kingdom is supposed to be full of people who are gracie, learning to be gracie, and I think it's helpful, genuinely, to become aware of the logs in your own eyes because it reminds you. So how do you do that? Let's get... I've had two occasions that have been really strong for me where I've seen this or been part of this. The first, I will confess, is when I worked with drug addicts. Um, we had this process where um, we, uh, built on the 12 steps um, where people were supposed to each day just take a little check and say, how was today? And in this we had this list. It was called a daily moral infantry list. A list of the kind of things that you could blow it. And there was no guilt on it. We're just going, just want you to notice how you've been doing. And that involved envy, lust, lying, greed. And then once a week we would get together and people would check in and they'd say how it's been. It was a fascinating process, absolutely fascinating. I was running the house. I had maybe different issues to the addicts I was working with, but actually not so different. I'm every bit as much a sinner. I had to apologize actually more often because I was aware when I sinned, that it was a sin, that it wasn't okay, whereas often it was, for them it was just normal. But it only worked because no one was allowed to criticize another. We were paying attention to the logs in our own eyes. And there's something that happens when you're in a group that can do this. There was another time when Linda and I were part of a small group process called Renovare. Has anyone done Renovare? Just checking, see? Oh, look out, sometime or another we'll have a play with this. It was an interesting process. Um, it had us look at six different aspects of being a Christian. And then it had a whole bunch of things to try. And the idea was you'd get together once a week, you'd read out this sort of standard stuff that reminded us what we were trying to do. And then you would say, next week, I'm going to bake muffins for my neighbor. 
I'm trying to do the mission looking upwards. So I'd say that publicly. Yep. And then the next week we'd get back together and I would have to say, oh, she was a pretty busy week actually. And uh, so I haven't made muffins. I'd have to say it. And then we'd come to the bit where we said, so I'd say, so next week I'm going to bake muffins for my neighbour. Guess what happened the next week? The next week I still hadn't done it. The week after that I still hadn't done it. You know what happened, don't you? In the end I did it. Why did I do it? Because I was sick of telling this group of people I hadn't done what I said I was going to do. But the good part is I did it. And it was a group, it was fascinating because each one of us said, I'm going to do this. And sometimes they were realistic things and sometimes they were unrealistic things. But you know, we all struggled to get it right and it was so good when we did. The idea of life is easy, but when you've got skin in the game, it's different, isn't it? I love this because we follow the Savior who literally had skin in the game. And everybody is willing to tell you how to live your life. There is no lack of that. But they don't have the skin in the game you have. Pay attention to the log in your own eye. And yes, I loved being in those groups. Because we weren't judging each other, we were supporting each other. We were trying to consider how to spur one another on to good works. Now there's a problem. This is first and foremost personal. Some issues aren't just personal. Some issues still require action. The Harvey Weinsteins of the world aren't supposed to go unchallenged. The plight of the Rohingya people, the Malaysian takeover of West Papua, the growth in inequality in New Zealand, that's be one of mine. These are bigger than us. And it is not that you can't engage in these, but when you do, you go in knowing that you are a sinner who struggle with sin. And it changes us from first and foremost that kind of self-righteous, judgy thing. The kind of conversation changes. And that conversation when you are not self-righteous is gold. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Oh, and don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, practical suggestions on how we might be gracie. I think to know what's happening in your life, you have to know how it's going. And I would suggest to most of us, a kind of daily review would be brilliant. Very hard to do. Very, very hard to do. Um, because particularly, ah, sometimes you trigger something and run away. The last thing you want to do is this. But there is, um, on our website, there's a couple of examples of a daily examine. Haven, when she got up and shared um, a while ago, talked about journaling. Just regularly sitting down and going, how's it going? Being honest with yourself, not for anyone else to read, not so that you can look good, not so that other Christians can follow me, but paying attention to your interior life so that we know what our logs are. I genuinely believe if you can be in a community where there's accountability, it's absolutely brilliant. A couple of weeks ago, someone approached me about an occasion when I didn't respond well, and they were absolutely right to, and I'm grateful. I really am grateful. It's a privilege to be in a community where you can be 
pulled up. They did it in a, in a, in a nice manner. <laughs> it is a bit elusive, that kind of arrangement. It is far easier to make judgments about other people than to know their full story. It is gold. I think we're supposed to build and encourage and, uh, encourage and spur each other on. So there's some point in paying attention to your speech. You know, there's um, three kinds of judgy people that you come across, you meet uh, in no particular order. Young adults at the stage of life where they are, everything is black and white to them. You meet parents who are absolutely certain they're right because they were a kid once and they know. You meet older people who sometimes they've spent their whole life getting here and it's like this. And everything they say is, I'm not speaking that for here. You come across these people and we don't want to be any of them. We want to be gracey and I take some great joy in the fact that the first perceptions of our neighbours over the um, sea for Christians was caring and loving. I think that's what people have seen. So what does it mean for us? I think we need to make a conscious decision not to judge. Yes, the Bible says, but is this my log? When we do that, we are consciously giving a way the right to try and control others. We are letting God be God. And it's tough because that requires us to be patient. Things don't happen on our time frame. It requires us to prioritize love over getting the results we want, which for many parents is the struggle. <laughs> People will still ask you, what should I do? And look, ministers, we're awful. Um, I have found myself as I get older keener to say, well, if it were me, which is my way of saying, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to say it was me, it would look like this. But actually, that's not my call, it's your call. I don't know, I get that right all the time. I would like to, I, I want, we want to be a community of patience, support, of invitation centered around Jesus. But I'd like this to be a catch cry for us. Here you go, I'm going to try it on you. Whose log is that? Here, say it with me. Whose log is that? One more time. Whose log is that? Okay, let's have a little trial run. Uh, Fred is so disorganized. Yeah, not mine. <laughs> I'm really hacked off with the way so and so did such and such. Notice, as soon as you ask that, you start thinking about why am I hacked off about it? What's going on there? And you're starting to think about your internal life. Um, tougher one. I'm paid less than the minimum wage. Yeah, it's probably not my log, eh? <laughs> okay? So it, it's not for everything. Look, I think, I think, I don't know, because I haven't used this phrase. I think if we had this in our consciousness, in discussions, and you just had permission to say, whose log is that? It's a signal to say to people, hang on, are we getting all judgy? 
Because we're not first and foremost supposed to stand in judgment on everyone else. We're supposed to follow Jesus, to step towards Jesus. And that's me. And maybe their life hasn't magically transformed in a moment to be perfectly right. But guess what? None of us has. Ah, certainly there's occasions where by God's grace, again by God's grace, you reach out to God, God catches you and you find yourself in a different place. And that is absolutely glorious. It is, has that freedom, that land of the free that we sung about in our national anthem, it's there for us. But then still it's because God grabbed when you reached up. It is an action of grace so none of us get just the way we want. So I'm in trouble now because I know in the next month or two I'm going to hear that phrase thrown at me. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be mine. <laughs> and with any luck, well, we will be a community that is gracey, that is made of grace. Not giving away character, not doing that, but changing our focus so we're not... Um, there's a, in Matthew 12... There's a place where the Pharisees get all judgy on the disciples. He says to them, uh, they say, oh, you guys were snacking in the, uh, in the temple. You took some of, and, they, and Jesus tells this weird story about David breaking bread. And he, then he says, because God doesn't, and he quotes from the Old Testament, I don't desire sacrifice as much as mercy. We do this and we cannot help but become people of mercy. We do this and we cannot help to be drawn to the cross of Jesus because our inadequacies and failures push us there. And like Paul says, if we want to draw people to us, then we puff ourselves up. But if we want to draw people to Jesus, sometimes our weaknesses are a gift from God that make that happen. Okay, instead of getting us all to sing a song, what I wanted to do is give you a little bit of time to chew on it. Um, so I'm going to play a song, and at the end of the song, I'm keen for us to say um, benediction number two. Yep. Um, and after that, um, we'll play some background music, and you can go have tea or coffee or that kind of stuff. But also, if you wanted to pray with someone, and if you are praying with someone, remember your own log. Mercy, grace, we do not stand in judgment. So, hopefully, with the wonders of modern technology, we'll have a song. is that when we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins this message brought to you by two phrases get the logs out and whose log is that we're going to say a benediction together. Um, I'll get this to play again afterwards, so um, if you can keep the sound on for that. Can you?
Could you read this with me? And then tea, coffee, chance to pray with someone if you like. We won't rush. So if you're going to be noisy, be noisy out in the hall over there. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Thanks.